All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn in them to our study of the book of Galatians. We're once again focusing our attention on Galatians chapter 4. And tonight we'll be looking verse 21 through chapter 5 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 4, verse 21 through chapter 5, verse 1. Let me just read these verses for us. Apostle Paul says, Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, the son by the free woman through the promise. This is, allegorically speaking, for these are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai bearing children who are to be slaves. She is Hagar. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. And you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. And so it is now also. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Let's just pray. Father, this text before us tonight is complicated. Help our understanding, help our thinking, give us wisdom, help us know the principles that you are laying forth here so that we might understand truly and clearly just whose child we are. Thank you for your word. Bless it to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I were to ask this question tonight, it would be interesting to see the kind of answers we might get. The question is simply this, how many kinds of people are in the world? How many kinds of people are in the world? The answer to that question is not an easy one to give, depending on how we view the question. If you were to think in terms of nationalities and answer the question from the perspective of the different nationalities in our world, on our current globe, 
you would have to say there are 156 different kinds of people in the world because that is the current number of countries that we have in our world. If you were to think in some other way, you would come up with some other number, maybe by those who have blue eyes or those who have green eyes or those with black hair or those with red hair. But the reality is that there are only two kinds of people in the world today. The Apostle Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul understood this. And so he divided the world into two groups. Divided the world into the slaves and into the free. Those are the two groups. There are the slaves and there are the free. In the identification of those two types of people, the Apostle Paul is referring to people in their spiritual condition. This is who they are, spiritually speaking. Either one is saved or one is not saved. Either one is under the law for righteousness' sake, or one is under grace for righteousness' sake. Either one is outside of Christ or one is in Christ. Those are the only options. Those are the only kinds of people there are in the world. The slave is the one who is under law. The slave is the one that is outside of Christ. They are not saved. The free is the one who is under grace. They are in Christ. They are saved. This then is the contrast between what the Apostle Paul has been arguing against throughout this entire epistle. It is the contrast between righteousness by works and righteousness by faith. Righteousness by works is slavery, and righteousness by faith is freedom. This is the principle that the Apostle Paul is arguing for. This is the principle that has been running through Paul's letter to the Galatians. However, the contrast between slavery and freedom is brought into a high-resolution focus here in this particular section of Paul's letter. As Paul accounts for and looks into and uses this accounting of Israel's history to drive home this spiritual reality dealing with the saved and the not saved. And so I just want to divide this up under three different headings as we look at it tonight. Because Paul is going to give us here in this section the historical situation that he's using, the historical situation. And then in verses 24 through 27, we're going to see the analogous interpretation. And then lastly, the practical implication. So the historical situation, the analogous interpretation, and then the practical implication. Now remember that Paul had gone to Galatia as part of his missionary journey to Asia Minor. 
And as was his norm, as he preached the gospel, there were people whom God drew to himself. God saved them. They embraced Christ by faith. They heard the gospel and they believed in Christ. And those who believed in Jesus Christ did what new believers do. They began to gather together as Acts chapter 2 even declares in the first century church that began when Peter preached. They began to gather together with one another and churches were beginning to spring up and be planted and people were beginning to grow in their spiritual lives. But it wasn't long after Paul had gone on in his missionary journey to travel to other places that other Jewish so-called Christians came to Galatia and they began to introduce teaching so far as to correct what had been taught by Paul. We know these are the Judaizers. The Judaizers had come from Jerusalem. They had come from the city and they were promoting a legalistic form of Christianity. Now we need to mark this in our own minds and understand legalism. Legalism is not the reality that God says do this, do this, and do this as commands for us as Christians that we are to walk in those commands as God commands us. That's not legalism. Legalism is attempting to use those commands as a means for gaining righteousness before God. That is legalism. And that's what these Christians were doing or these so-called Christians were doing. They were saying that the only way to truly be saved is through works. Works meaning their righteous deeds, the activity by way they would carry out their religious activity. And they were telling the Galatians that they needed specifically to be circumcised. If they were to be righteous before God, they needed to carry out the religious activity of being circumcised. In other words, they needed to be a proselyte Jew if they were truly going to be saved and be right with God. And so these new Galatian believers began to turn from their freedom in Christ by faith to salvation by effort, believing that if they did certain things, they would indeed be right with God. And so in order to help the Galatians know the difference, to understand that they were free from those things for righteousness sake, in other words, to gain righteousness, they're not free from the commands of God as a Christian in order to walk in the things of God, but they are free from those things in the sense of gaining righteousness before God. So Paul asks this rhetorical question in verse 21, tell me, you who want to be under law. If you want to be under law, tell me then, do you not listen to the law? What Paul? What is Paul saying? Well, Paul is simply just saying this. So you want to be under the law for righteousness, do you? You want to be one who follows the law in order to gain some kind of righteousness? Well, do you have any idea what the law actually says? You say you want to follow the law in order to gain righteousness before God. Do you actually know what the law says? Because if you did, you would realize that the law itself tells you not to be under the law for righteousness. Paul says, let me show you who is truly free according to the law. 
Let me show you who is truly free according to the law. And Paul takes an example from the book of Genesis about Abraham. Why Abraham? Because Abraham was the hero of the Jew. Every Jewish person loved Abraham, and they should love Abraham because he was certainly the one by which God promised uh, a nation and a people. So Paul goes to Abraham. You want to know what the law actually says? Let's look at the book and the story of Abraham, the hero of every Jew. If you don't get Abraham right, this is what this is what Paul is saying. Listen, Galatians, if you don't get Abraham right, then you will get righteousness wrong every time. You better get Abraham right or you're not going to get righteousness right. So whose child are you? That's the question. That's the question. Hence the title of this message. Whose kid are you? Whose child are you? Let's look then at the historical situation that Paul uses. Paul again is answering this question for them. And he says, Here's what the law says. For it's written that Abraham had two sons, verse 22, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman through the promise. Well, here's the situation. God had promised to make Abraham a great nation, Genesis chapter 16 and 17. I'm going to make you a great nation. This is the promise of God to Abraham. But when God made that promise, Abraham, as we know, didn't have any children. God was making a promise to Abraham, and yet Abraham had no children. God was saying, I will make you a great nation. And Abraham had no children. And the fulfillment of the promise was even made more difficult by the fact that his wife was barren and beyond even years of childbirth. So God takes Abraham and he says, you see the stars of the sky? Tell me how much sand is in the seashore. Count that if you can. I'm going to make a nation that is far beyond that from you. Yet Abraham's wife wasn't even able to have children. Abraham himself, when that promise was given, was in his 80s. And although his wife, Sarai at the time, had prayed for a child for years, She remained without the ability to bear a child. And so, out of her own desperation, she says to her husband in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 2, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children, so go into my servant. It may be that I will obtain children by her. So Sarah takes it upon herself to come about fulfilling the promise of God to Abraham and says, well, certainly God's going to fulfill this promise, but maybe it's not through me because I'm barren, so go into my maidservant and she can bear children on my behalf. Well, wouldn't you know it? Her servant, whose name was Hagar, bore a child. It was a son, and his name was Ishmael. Ishmael is the father of the Arabs to this very day. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 15 tell us his name. 
And so Abraham now had a son. God said, I will make you a great nation. Abraham doesn't have any children. Now Abraham has a son. But Ishmael was not the son of promise. And so God said to Abram, again, Genesis chapter 17, verse 15 and 16, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah will be her name, and I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she will become nations. And so because of God's promise, Sarah became pregnant at the age of 99. I'm sorry, at the age of 90. She gave birth to a son. I know you ladies who have had children cringe at that very thought. She named him Isaac. Genesis chapter 21 verses 1 through 3 tell us that. Now both of these children had the same father. Both were children of Abraham. In the physical reality. They both grew up in the same home. But there was some crucial differences to these two boys. Because even though they had the same father, even though they were the progeny physically of Abraham, they had different mothers. And therefore their status in the eyes of the law was completely different. From a legal standpoint, because of their two mothers and who their two mothers were, Ishmael was born a slave. His mother was a maidservant. She was a slave of Abraham's, and therefore her son was born as a slave. That's what his mother was. But Isaac was born free. He was the child of a free woman. And not only that, but their conception and their births were very different. One was conceived and born by means of an act of the flesh. Sarah decided, I will fulfill the promise of God. I will ensure that God's promise is fulfilled. Therefore, go into my maidservant and have a child by her on my behalf. It was an act of the flesh. And of course, Ishmael was the product of that interaction. It was an act of the flesh. The other came by through faith in the promise of God. God had said, I will make you a great nation. Sarah will be the one through whom your son comes. And they believed God. So Ishmael's birth was by human intervention. In other words, on a spiritual level, Ishmael came about by works. But Isaac was by supernatural intervention. Isaac came about by faith. So Through the plan of the flesh, in order to try to fulfill the promise of God by means of man's effort, came about the conception and the birth of the child Ishmael the slave under the law. But it was through the supernatural hand of God in opening Sarah's womb that by faith Sarah conceives and she gives birth to Isaac, born free from the law. So this is the point that Paul is laying before 
these young believers in Galatia. Tell me who you who want to be under law. Do you even know what the law says? Do you listen to the law? Here's what the law says. When Abraham got Hagar pregnant, he was operating on the principle that by his efforts he could bring about God's promise. But God's promise would never be fulfilled by human effort. But only through His grace. Only by trusting in Him. So in Ishmael and Isaac, in Ishmael and Isaac, there's, there's a picture here that Paul is drawing. A picture of two very different approaches to salvation. One is fulfilled by effort, and when we say fulfilled, we don't mean in a saving kind of way. The other is fulfilled by divine dependence, faith in what God has said. Well, that's the historical setting that Paul is using. Look at Abraham. Look at what Abraham did. Look at these two women, one by a slave, one a free woman, The son by the bondwoman is born according to the flesh. The son of the free woman is born according to or through the promise, i.e. by faith. That's the setting. So now Paul says, okay, let me tell you what all of that means. Let me give you an analogous interpretation of what all of that is saying. Verse 24 to 27, this is allegorically speaking, he says. For these, and your text might have in italics the word woman, it's not there in the original, it's brought down from the verses above by the translators because that's what he's talking about in an allegorical, or I'll explain that in a moment, kind of way. For these women are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai bearing children who are are to be slaves, that's Hagar, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. Paul says, the beginning, this is, verse 24, this is, what is, what is, what does that refer to, this is? Well, the translators use the word here allegorically. That's more of a transliteration of the entire word in the original language than it is a translation of the word in the original language. But the word can be confusing, particularly in the English language, because it implies some kind of fantasy. Allegory implies some kind of mysticism or something that isn't real. It's like when we read the allegory of Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and and all of those in that allegory, or the movies that we like or the books that we like with Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Those are allegories showing uh, scriptural truths in these fantasy kind of things. They're not real But that's not what Paul means, because what Paul means is that the conception and birth of these boys is analogous to how these two boys were born. It's analogous to how these two boys were there. 
It's, it's not allegory in the true sense of allegory. In other words, this is true history. What Paul is talking about is not some fantasy. It's not some fake story. It's actual history, but it's analogous to what he is talking about. It's analogous to to the issue that Paul is dealing with with the Galatian believers as they're being tempted to go backwards. And so here is Paul's analogous interpretation that's based upon the facts of history. That's why he says this is allegorically speaking. So the history of Abram's sons has something significant to say about the way God always deals with his people. In other words, there's an analogy between them in the eyes of God and us in the eyes of God. There's an analogous comparison between how God was dealing with them in history and how God deals with us spiritually. Paul says these women... These women, these are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. He's just pointing back to the issue of the bondwoman. This is the covenant of the bondwoman. This is Hagar. Hagar in Mount Sinai in Arabia corresponds to the present Jerusalem. He's tying it all back to the history of Israel and God giving the promise. And when the law came on Mount Sinai, and he says this corresponds to those in present Jerusalem. She is in slavery with her children. In other words, this is how they live. This is how they believe you can be saved. But Jerusalem above is free. Paul says she is our mother. So here you have two mothers. Each mother has a son. These two mothers are like two covenants. One is a covenant of works. And the other, a covenant of grace. And all of that corresponds to two cities. Present Jerusalem, as Paul in Paul's day, the Jerusalem that he, where these Judaizers have come from, and the Jerusalem above, the new Jerusalem. The one where God is above and creating a new Jerusalem for us to dwell. We have to follow along with Paul's logic here. Hagar stands for the Old Covenant. Covenant of law, the law under Moses. And in that covenant, there were rules and there were regulations. It was the law given to Israel at Mount Sinai. That's the old covenant, the rules and regulations that were to be followed to the letter. If you are going to have blessing, you do this. If you're going to get cursing, it's because you didn't do these things. So it was a covenant of works. And those works kept everyone in slavery to it. Paul has already said this to the believers in Galatia. Remember chapter 3, verse 23? He said, Before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. We were were shut up in custody to the law. The law hemmed us in. It, It kept us from going this way and going this way. It was always there, always ready to hammer on us, no matter how good we were. It was always there on top of us, hemming us in. 
And so Paul says the old covenant represented by Hagar and her son Ishmael meant slavery to the law. And so any children of the slave is also a slave. That's Paul's point. The prodigy goes on. If you're born from the slave, you are a slave. So to attempt righteousness, Paul is saying, to attempt righteousness by keeping rules and regulations only produces more slavery. You never get out of the slavery. You continue to live by the rules of the law. The law is always there, the next step, waiting for you to fail. Wanting, in fact, to say, you're condemned when you fail. So there's no freedom. It's always slavery. Can never give freedom. And here's the point that Paul is making for the Galatians. Verse 25. Now this Hagar is Mount Sinai of Arabia. And she corresponds to the present Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. In other words, those who have come to you from Jerusalem, the Judaizers who who are with you now and saying that you need to be circumcised, they are in slavery. They've come from the mother of slavery. They are slaves. They've come to you from Jerusalem. They are slaves of the law. They are not free and they can never be free that way. All who live by the law must be perfect. You want to live by the law? Then you better live perfectly by the law. And even in your perfection, which you cannot attain because you will fall, you have failed already, the law is always there keeping watch and ready to curse. I don't believe that Paul was only speaking geographically. In other words, Jerusalem in the geographic sense, the present Jerusalem geographically. I think Jerusalem is representative of any people who are living under that kind of law, living under that kind of means of righteousness. That's the present Jerusalem. That's the, the, the way to not get to God. It was the fountainhead in the Jewish religion of the day. Of course, in the physical sense, the Jewish legalists came from there to Galatia. So Paul is saying, they're not of the promise. They're not children of the promise. They are of the flesh. They are slaves. They're slaves to the law. And therefore, they're slaves to works. They're slaves to the very things from which they cannot escape. It's impossible to escape. But Sarah, he says, Sarah was never a slave. Sarah was a free woman. She was always free, and therefore the son born to her is also free. He was not born by human effort. He was born through the promise by faith. In the Old Covenant, God said, you must. You must not. That was the law. Do this or don't do that. But in the New Covenant, God says what? I will do it. Not you do it. I will do it. I will be your God. I will redeem you from your sin. I will give you eternal life. 
And if the present Jerusalem represents those who are not saved, then the Jerusalem above represents those that are saved. In but, he says, contrasting, but the Jerusalem above is free. In other words, the Jerusalem above is not a a place of slavery. The Jerusalem above is our mother. Just like the Hagar below, the present Jerusalem is the mother of the slave. The Jerusalem above is our mother. The Jerusalem above, the abode of God, God Himself. Why? Because it's written, Rejoice, O barren woman who does not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are in labor. For more are the children of the desolate than the one who has a husband. You say, what's Paul saying? He's saying that those who try to justify themselves by keeping the law are the slave children of Hagar. They're the unsaved, but those who are justified by faith in Christ are God's free children. They are the children of Sarah. They are of Jerusalem above. And so that's why Paul quotes here in verse 27 from Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54 is prophesying when God would relieve His people from captivity in Babylon. They're written, those words are written from Isaiah to encourage those exiles who are in bondage in Babylon. And now Paul takes that passage and he applies it by the power of the Spirit, under the illumination of the Spirit, the superintending of the Spirit. As Paul writes these words, he applies that passage from Isaiah 54, which had to do in present time with the exiles in Babylon, and he applies it to Sarah. She was the barren woman. In her earthly sight, her barrenness was a barrier to the promise made to Abraham. But just as freedom came to the captives in Babylon, as God relieved them from their captivity, so too He has come to those trapped by personal effort for righteousness. All who are under the penalty of death because of sin. This is what Paul is saying. Paul says, like Isaac, you are children of promise. You, brethren. Paul Paul takes that term of endearment and and locks himself himself with them and says, but you, brethren, you're, you're one of us. Like Isaac, you are children of promise. What is he saying? He's saying you didn't get your righteousness by your efforts. You weren't born of the slave woman. That's not how you became who you are. You were born of the free woman. You're like Isaac. You're a child of the promise. And so Paul says, tell me, You who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? Here's what the law says. Here's what took place with Abraham, the historical setting that took place hundreds of years before Paul is here talking with these believers. And then he lays out for them that analogous interpretation. Here's what that pictures. It's just like what we're seeing here, Paul says. What took place with Hagar and Sarah in the history and their 
attempts to try to accomplish what God had said through their own efforts and through trusting God. And God blesses the trust, but the one who is through the efforts of man, God does not bless. They are children of the slave woman. That's not you. That's not you. So Paul then gives the practical implication. The practical implication. But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. So it is also now, he says. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall be an heir with the son of the free woman. Let me read that again. I read it wrong. What does the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free woman. And it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject again to a yoke of slavery. What is Paul saying? He's saying this, true Christians, true Christians like Isaac are children of promise. They're not children of effort. They're not children of righteous deeds. They're not children of works. They're not children of religious activities that somehow gain righteousness. They are children of promise. Every believer, in other words, has been supernaturally conceived. Every believer, every one who knows their freedom, everyone who is free in Christ, are free in Christ, not because of an effort on their part, but because they have been supernaturally conceived. They have been miraculously born again. Says we are, we are the children of God's promise to Abraham that was fulfilled in Christ. That's who we are. That's who we are. And so, beloved, he says, we're, we're not tempted to go back. We can't go backwards. That's no way forward. When life is hard and we think that the way forward is to go back, we can't do that. We must remember that we are children of the promise. Our salvation wasn't attained by our efforts at doing some kind of righteousness in the physical realm. That doesn't add to our righteousness. It doesn't give us righteousness. No, we were born by the power of God who gave us life. We were born just like Isaac. We were not born to fall back because to fall back is to deny God's power. It's to dishonor God. They say, but life is hard. Paul says, it's always like that. It's always like that. That's why Paul says, verse 29, expect persecution. Even as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit. You go back in the history of Ishmael and Isaac and you see the conflict that went on. Ishmael was 14 years older than his younger brother Isaac. And he relentlessly treated him with disdain. 
It wasn't just natural sibling rivalry. This was baked into the bread of the entire plan of God. This was the reality of their birth. Isaac was persecuted by Ishmael. Paul says persecution will come just like it came then. That's the way it is now. That's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. Why? Because the spiritual children, like Sarah, like Isaac, will receive an inheritance that the spiritual children, like Hagar and Ishmael, will never have. That's what he says in verse 30. But what does the Scripture say? persecution. Yes, it's hard now. Yes, they don't want us. Yes, they say you aren't a Christian. Yes, they say there's no way to get to glory like that. Yes, they say Jesus isn't enough. Yes, they say all kinds of things against you. Persecution comes the way of the children of promise. But what does the scripture say? It doesn't say that all end well, that all get to the same place, that all roads lead to God. No, it doesn't say that. The scriptures say cast out the bondwoman and her son because the son of of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. You know what that says? Not all people end up in the same place. Not all get to the same place. Those who try to come to God through effort will be cast away. It's only the children of promise who are heirs of God. This is why you see the constant conflict going on between the Arabs and the Israelis over the last centuries throughout the years, even on a physical sense. Why? Because of the issue between Isaac and Ishmael. And yet here, Paul is using all of that in the spiritual way to help the Galatians understand that, listen, you can't get there by your own effort. It never will work. That's what the law does. The law crushes you when you try. So expect persecution, expect it to come, but know the inheritance is coming. There is an inheritance with God for you. Why? Because you're a child of the free woman. So expect persecution, know the inheritance is coming, and then lastly, keep trusting. Keep trusting. In other words, walk by faith. So then, brethren... We are not children of a bondwoman. You want to live by the law? The law says you can't get there under the law. Why? Because the law is just waiting to crush you. And the moment you miss, you will get crushed. That's what the law says. But we're not children of the bondwoman. We didn't get righteousness by the law. We are of the free woman. Praise God. And what do we do with that reality in our minds? It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not subject, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Don't go backwards. Don't go backwards. Don't think that somehow your sanctification is a means by which you were justified. Don't think that your righteous activity in your life after believing in Jesus Christ, somehow get you to the place where Jesus loves you a little more than he did yesterday. 
Don't think that your righteous activity, all the things that we do, even in modern day Christianity and reading our Bible and praying and all of these kinds of things, get us any closer to God than we are with God when we have believed upon Jesus Christ. None of that gets us closer to God. None of that gets us more saved. None of that does anything for us by means of righteousness sake. All of those things are for sanctification, practical living, living out the, the character of Christ in us so that God is glorified. We have an obligation, Paul says, to walk by faith in Christ. Keep standing firm. You're free. So don't be pushed off that foundation. You are free in Christ. Keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to that kind of living. That's how you lived before, whether you ever thought you lived like that or not. That's why you, in your own mind, even before Christ, were comparing yourself to others and saying, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. I'm okay. God must be okay with me. Oh, it's going to turn out all right in the end because after all, I'm not such a bad guy. Paul says, don't be subject again to that kind of slavery. That's a yoke around your neck that you cannot get away from. You cannot get outside of that. You'll never satisfy the law. In other words, persevere in freedom. Persevere in freedom. Live by faith, not by sight. Paul says, live by faith. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Live by faith. I'll ask the question again, whose kid are you? Whose kid are you? If you're working to gain God's acceptance for righteousness' sake, then you are like Ishmael, child of Hagar, the slave. But if you desire to be free, and if you're not free, then ask God for the gift of His grace. Beg for God's mercy on you. Place your trust in Jesus Christ, and you will become a child of the free woman. Christ will set you free and you will be empowered by the Spirit to never turn back to that yoke of slavery again. Notice what Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 5. We'll get to this next time, but just notice what he says. Behold, behold, Pay attention, he said. I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. If you go back thinking that that's the way for righteousness' sake, if that's the way to gain righteousness, Paul says, Christ will be no benefit to you when it comes to that day when you have to answer for who and why I should let you into my heaven. Christ will be no benefit. You will have thought you were saved when you're not saved at all.
That's why Paul says, and I testify again, verse 3, to every man who receives circumcision, that he is under obligation to keep how much of the law? The whole law. The whole law. Simply said, you better be perfect. You better be perfect, and since you're already a failure in that, you have no hope. So whose kid are you? Whose kid are you? Let's pray. Father, we seemingly have raced through this text in one sense, and yet it seems so clear two positions, the two places, the two ways. One, a way of salvation. The other, a way of deception. One, a way of hope. The other, a way of no hope. One, the narrow way. The other, the wide way. Lord, I pray that we understand these things. Help us to understand them. Help us to look at ourselves soberly each and every day as we walk with you. Thank you for your mercy and grace, for empowerment by your Spirit, and the joy that we have in just following you. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you that we can be children of the promise by faith in him. Glorify your name in us, we pray. Amen.